Chapter Thirteen of Ancient and Modern Celebrated Freethinkers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ancient and Modern Celebrated Freethinkers by Charles Bradlaugh. Chapter Thirteen. Francis W. Darusmont. The previous issues of this publication contain notices of the lives and writings of men of eminence in the world of free thought. This number is devoted to a review of the career and works of a most talented and accomplished lady, a freethinker and republican, as a proof, if any proof were needed, that women, if adequately educated, are equally capable with men to become teachers and reformers the works of the subject of present notice afford abundant evidence the efforts now being made to procure an adjustment of the laws relating to women whereby they will be protected in their property and consequently improved in their social position deserve the support of all classes when females become independent there will be less ignorance among women and more happiness among men. Frances Wright, afterwards Madame d'Arusmont, was a native of Dundee. She was born on the 6th of September, 1795. She came of a wealthy family who had been extensive holders of city property from the year 1500. Her father was a man of considerable literary attainments, and to his active antiquarian researches and donations the british museum is indebted for many rare and valuable coins and medals he died young as also his wife leaving three children two girls and a boy francis was then but two years and a half old at the wish of her grandfather general duncan campbell she was taken to england and reared as a ward of chancery, under the guardianship of a maternal aunt. She grew to be very tall in person, erect, and of a commanding figure, large eyes and magnificent head, with a face somewhat masculine, but well-formed, and decidedly handsome. Her brother was sent to India, at the age of fifteen, as a cadet in the East India Company's service, and was killed on the passage out in an encounter with a French vessel. Her sister passed her life with her, and died in Paris in 1831. At an early age Miss Wright gave evidence of great intellectual ability. The education she received was of a very superior kind she diligently applied herself to the various branches of science and to the study of ancient and modern letters and the arts being impelled by a strong desire for knowledge at the age of nineteen she published her first work a few days in athens her attention was early drawn to the sufferings of the lower classes, and on reflection she became convinced that some great vice lay at the foundation of the whole of human practice. She determined to endeavor to discover and assist in removing it. 
she read Boca's history of the american revolution and resolved to visit that country it appearing to her young imagination as the land of freedom and hope after having familiarized herself with the government and institutions of america she sailed for new york in eighteen eighteen she returned to england in eighteen twenty and published a large volume entitled views of society and manners in america it was dedicated to jeremy bentham and had a large sale the work being translated into most of the continental languages she became known to the prominent reformers of europe in eighteen twenty one she made her first visit to paris and was there introduced to general lafayette who having previously read her work on america invited her to that city a republican in all her views and hopes she was highly appreciated by lafayette and other eminent supporters of the liberal party in france she remained in paris until eighteen twenty four when she returned to the united states and immediately undertook a project for the abolition of slavery upon a plan somewhat different from any that then engaged the attention of philanthropists for this purpose she purchased two thousand acres of land at chickasaw bluff now memphis tennessee intending to make a good farm rather than a cotton plantation she then purchased several slave families gave them their liberty and removed them to the farm residing there herself to direct their labor commencing this novel undertaking with all that enthusiasm for which she was remarkable she continued the experiment some three years and a half when her health gave way and suffering under severe sickness she made a voyage to europe for her recovery during her absence the farm got involved in difficulties by the influence of her enemies and finally the whole project falling through the negroes were sent off to haiti at her expense she gave much time and money to the carrying forward of this experiment and though it was a failure it strikingly exhibited her strong sympathy and benevolence for an oppressed and degraded class of beings returning from europe she went to new harmony indiana to assume the proprietorship of a periodical the harmony gazette which had been published under the direction of robert dale owen in eighteen twenty eight leaving mr owen in charge of the paper she began a lecturing tour through the union and probably no man and certainly no woman ever met with such furious opposition her views as announced in her paper had made her generally known and being somewhat new and radically anti-theological brought down upon her head the rancor of religious bigotry as no church or hall would be opened for her she lectured in theatres and her ability and eloquence drew great audiences on one occasion while preparing to lecture in a theatre at baltimore she was threatened with the destruction of her life if she attempted to speak she calmly replied that she thought she knew the american people and for every riotous fanatic that might annoy her a hundred good citizens would protect her and she was not afraid to place herself in their hands 
she judged rightly she went to the theatre which was crammed from pit to ceiling and lectured to an admiring and enthusiastic audience in other cities she was not always so fortunate more or less rioting occurred while the press almost without exception denounced her in the bitterest terms subsequently her paper was removed to new york some years afterwards she again made a lecturing tour but this time she spoke on subjects of a political nature and met with a better reception in addition to lecturing she conducted a political magazine entitled the manual of american principles and was also engaged with mr neeland in editing the boston investigator she wrote a great deal and upon many subjects among her many works is a tragedy called altorf which was performed on the stage the principal character being sustained by mr james wallach her last work of any considerable size was entitled england the civilizer published in london in eighteen forty seven Madame d'Arusmont died suddenly in Cincinnati on Tuesday, December 14, 1852, aged 57. She had been for some time unwell, in consequence of a fall upon the ice the previous winter, which broke her thigh, and probably hastened her decease. But the immediate cause of her death was the rupture of a blood vessel she was aware of her situation knew when she was dying and met her last hour with perfect composure a daughter her only child survives her in a small work entitled observations on religion and civilization are given the following definitions of theology and religion in the words and in the things signified origin and nature of theology Theology, from the Greek theos, logos, renders distinct the meaning of the subject it attempts to treat. Theos, God or gods, unseen beings and unknown causes. Logos, word, talk, or, if we like to employ yet more familiar and expressive terms, prattle or chatter. Talk or prattle about unseen beings or unknown causes the idleness of the subject and inutility nay absolute insanity of the occupation sufficiently appears in the strict etymological meaning of the word employed to typify them the danger the mischief the cruelly immoral and if i may be permitted to coin a word for the occasion the unhumanizing tendencies both of the subject and the occupation when and where these are as they have for the most part ever been throughout the civilized world absolutely protected by law and upheld by government sufficiently appear also from the whole page of history religion from the latin religio religio renders with equal distinctness the things signified religio to tie over again to bind fast religio a binding together a bond of union the importance of the great reality here so accurately shadowed out appears sufficiently in the etymological signification of the word 
its utility will be evident if we read with intelligence the nature the past history the actual condition and the future destiny of man but now taking these two things in the most strict etymological sense of the words which express them it will readily be distinguished that the first is a necessary creation of the human intellect in a certain stage of inquiry the second a necessary creation of the human soul by which i understand both our intellectual and moral faculties taken conjointly and in any and every state of human civilization theology argues in its origin the first awakening of human attention to the phenomena of nature and the first crude efforts of human ingenuity to expound them while man sees the sun and stars without observing either their diurnal or their annual revolutions while he receives upon his frame the rain and the wind and the varying elements without observing either their effects on himself or upon the field of nature around him he is as the brute which suffers and enjoys without inquiring why it experiences light or darkness pain or pleasure when first he puts in awkward language to himself or to his fellow the question why does such an effect follow such a cause he commences his existence if not as a reasonable being a state at which he has not yet arrived at least as a being capable of reason the answer to this first inquiry of awakening intelligence is of course such as his own circumscribed observation supplies it is in fine in accordance with the explanation of the old nurse to the child who asking when startled by a rolling peal of thunder what makes that noise was fully satisfied by the reply my darling it is god almighty overhead moving his furniture man awakening to the thought but still unfamiliar with the concatenation of natural phenomena inevitably conceives of some huge being or beings bestriding the clouds and whirlwind or wheeling the sun and the moon like chariots through the blue vault and so again fancy most naturally peoples the gloom of the night with demons the woods and the waters with naiads and dryads elves and fairies the churchyard with ghosts and the dark cave and the solitary cot with wizards imps and old witches such then is theology in its origin and in all its stages we find it varying in grossness according to the degree of ignorance of the human mind and refining into verbal subtleties and misty metaphysics in proportion as that mind exchanges in its progress from darkness to light the gloom of ignorance for the mass of terror the nature of belief in the unknowable and the dire consequences arising from fanaticism are ably depicted in the following passages selected from lecture four on religion 
admitting religion to be the most important of all subjects its truths must be the most apparent for we shall readily concede both that a thing true must be always of more or less importance and that a thing essentially important must always be indisputably true now again i conceive we shall be disposed to admit that exactly in proportion to the indisputability of a truth is the proof it is capable of affording and that exactly in proportion to the proof afforded is our admission of such truth and belief in it if then religion be the most important subject of human inquiry it must be that also which represents the most forcible irrefragable and indisputable truths to the inquirer it must be that on which the human mind can err the least and where all minds must be the most agreed if religion be at once a science and the most true of all sciences its truths must be as indisputable as those in any branch of the mathematics as apparent to all the senses as those revealed by the chemist or observed by the naturalist and as easily referred to the test of our approving or disapproving sensations as those involved in the science of morals is religion a science is it a branch of knowledge where are the things known upon which it rests where are the accumulated facts of which it is compounded what are the human sensations to which it appeals knowledge is compounded of things known it is an accumulation of facts gleaned by our senses within the range of material existence which is subject to their investigation now let us see where in the table of knowledge we may class religion of what part or division of nature or material existence does it treat what bodies or what properties of tangible bodies does it place in contact with our senses and bring home to the perception of our faculties it clearly appertains not to the table of human knowledge for it treats not of objects discoverable within the field of human observation no will you say but its knowledge is superhuman unearthly its field is in heaven my friends the knowledge which is not human is of slippery foundation to us human creatures things known constitute knowledge and here is a science treating of things unseen unfelt uncomprehended such cannot be knowledge what then is it probability possibility theory hypothesis tradition written spoken by whom when where let its teachers nay let all earth reply but what confusion of tongues and voices now strike on the ear 
from either indies from torrid africa from the frozen regions of either pole from the vast plains of ancient asia from the fields and cities of european industry from the palaces of european luxury from the soft chambers of priestly ease from the domes of hierarchical dominion from the deep cell of the self-immolated monk from the stony cave of the self-denying anchorite from the cloud-capped towers spires and minarets of the crescent and the cross arise shouts and hosannas and anathemas in the commingled names of brahma and vishnu and krishna and juggernaut heavenly kings heavenly queens triune deities earth-born gods heaven-born prophets apotheosized monarchs demon-enlightened philosophers saints angels devils ghosts apparitions and sorceries but worse than these sounds which but stun the ear and confound the intellect what sights oh humankind appall the heart the rivers of earth run blood nation set against nation brother against brother man against the companion of his bosom and that soft companion maddened with the frenzy of insane remorse for imaginary crimes fired with the rage of infatuated bigotry or subdued to diseased helplessness and mental fatuity renounces kindred flies from social converse and pines away a useless or mischievous existence in sighings and tremblings spectral fears uncharitable feelings and bitter denunciations such are thy doings o religion or rather such are thy doings o man while standing in a world so rich in sources of enjoyment so stored with objects of real inquiry and attainable knowledge yet shutting thine eyes and worse thine heart to the tangible things and sentient creatures around thee and winging thy diseased imagination beyond the light of the sun which gladdens thy world and contemplation of the objects which are here to expand thy mind and quicken the pulses of thy heart i will pray ye to observe how much of our positive misery originates in our idle speculations in matters of faith and in our blind our fearful forgetfulness of facts our cold heartless and i will say insane indifference to visible causes of tangible evil and visible sources of tangible happiness look to the walks of life i beseech ye look into the public prints look into your sectarian churches look into the bosoms of families look into your own bosoms and those of your fellow-beings and see how many of our disputes and dissensions public and private how many of our unjust actions how many of our harsh judgments 
how many of our uncharitable feelings spring out of our ignorant ambition to rend the veil which wraps from our human senses the knowledge of things unseen and from our human faculties the conception of causes unknown and oh my fellow-beings do not these very words unseen and unknown warn the enthusiast against the profanity of such inquiries and proclaim to the philosopher their futility do they not teach us that religion is no subject for instruction and no subject for discussion will they not convince us that as beyond the horizon of our observation we can know nothing so within that horizon's the only safe ground for us to meet in public every day we see sects splitting creeds new modeling and men forsaking old opinions only to quarrel about their opposites i see three gods in one says the trinitarian and excommunicates the socinian who sees a godhead in unity i see a heaven but no hell says the universalist and disowns fellowship with such as may distinguish less i see a heaven and hell also beyond the stars said lately the orthodox friend and expelled his shorter-sighted brethren from the sanctuary i seek them both in the heart of man said the more spiritual follower of pen and straightway builded him up another temple in which to quarrel with his neighbor who perhaps only employs other words to express the same ideas for myself pretending to no insight into these mysteries possessing no means of intercourse with the inhabitants of other worlds confessing my absolute incapacity to see either as far back as a first cause or as far forward as a last one i am content to state to you my fellow-creatures that all my studies reading reflection and observation have obtained for me no knowledge beyond the sphere of our planet our earthly interests and our earthly duties and that i more than doubt whether should you expend all your time and all your treasure in the search you will be able to acquire any better information respecting unseen worlds and future events than myself the philosophical romance a few days in athens though the first of miss wright's works and written when she was very young displays considerable power and eloquence it is the most pleasing of all her writings it is intended to portray the doctrines of epicurus and gives a picture of the gargetian and the gardens of the academy surrounded by his pupils calculated to counteract many of the popular and erroneous notions entertained of that philosopher's teachings the following dialogue between epicurus and his favorite theon will afford the readers of the half-hours an opportunity of judging how far miss wright has conveyed a truthful idea of epicurus's ethical philosophy 
on leaving you last night said theon i encountered clentus he came from the perusal of your writings and brought charges against them which i was unprepared to answer let us hear them my son perhaps until you shall have perused them yourself we may assist your difficulty first that they deny the existence of the gods i see but one other assertion that could equal that in folly said epicurus i knew it exclaimed theon triumphantly i knew it was impossible but where will not prejudice lead men when even the uptight clenthus is capable of slander he is utterly incapable of it said the master and in the accuracy in this case i rather suspect to rest with you than with him to deny the existence of the gods would indeed be a presumption in a philosopher a presumption equalled only by that of him who should assert their existence how exclaimed the youth with a countenance in which astonishment seemed to suspend every other expression as i never saw the gods my son calmly continued the sage i cannot assert their existence and that i never saw them is no reason for my denying it but do we believe nothing except that of which we have ocular demonstration nothing at least for which we have not the evidence of one or more of our senses that is when we believe on just grounds which i grant taking men collectively is very seldom but where would this spirit lead us to impiety to atheism to all against which i felt confidence in defending the character and philosophy of epicurus we will examine presently my son into the meaning of the terms you have employed when you first entered the garden your mind was unfit for the examination of the subject you have now started it is no longer so and we will therefore enter upon the inquiry and pursue it in order forgive me if i express if i acknowledge said the youth slightly recoiling from his instructor some reluctance to enter on the discussion of truths whose very discussion would seem to argue a doubt and-and what then that very doubt were a crime if the doubt of any truth shall constitute a crime then the belief of the same truth should constitute a virtue perhaps a duty would rather express it when you charge the neglect of any duty as a crime or account of its fulfilment a virtue you suppose the existence of a power to neglect or fulfil and it is the exercise of this power in the one way or the other which constitutes the merit or demerit is it not so certainly does the human mind possess the power to believe or disbelieve at pleasure any truths whatsoever i i am not prepared to answer but i i think it does since it possesses always the power of investigation but possibly not the will to exercise the power take care lest i beat you with your own weapons i thought this very investigation appeared to you a crime your logic is too subtle said the youth for my inexperience say rather my reasoning too close did i bear you down with sounding words and weighty authorities and confound your understanding with hair-drawn distinctions you would be right to retreat from the battery i have nothing to object to the fairness of your deductions said theon 
but would not the doctrine be dangerous that should establish our inability to help our belief and might we not stretch the principle until we asserted our inability to help our actions we might and with reason but we will not now traverse the ethical pons asinorum of necessity the most simple and evident of mortal truths and the most darkened tortured and belabored by moral teachers you inquire if the doctrine we have essayed to establish be not dangerous i reply not if it be true nothing is so dangerous as error nothing so safe as truth a dangerous truth would be a contradiction in terms and an anomaly in things but what is a truth said theon it is pertinently asked a truth i consider to be an ascertained fact which truth would be changed to an error the moment the fact on which it rested was disproved i see then no fixed basis for truth it surely has the most fixed of all the nature of things and it is only an imperfect insight into that nature which occasions all our erroneous conclusions whether in physics or morals but where if we discard the gods and their will as engraven on our hearts are our guides in the search after truth our senses and our faculties as developed in and by the exercise of our senses are the only guides with which i am acquainted and i do not see why even admitting a belief in the gods and in a superintending providence the senses should not be viewed as the guides provided by them for our direction and instruction but here is the evil attendant on an ungrounded belief whatever be its nature the moment we take one thing for granted we take other things for granted we are started in a wrong road and it is seldom that we gain the right one until we have trodden back our steps to the starting place i know but of one thing that a philosopher should take for granted and that only because he is forced to by an irresistible impulse of his nature and because without doing so neither truth nor falsehood could exist for him he must take for granted the existence of his senses in other words he must believe in the existence of things as they exist to his senses i know of no other existence and can therefore believe in no other although reasoning from analogy i may imagine other existences to be this for instance i do as respects the gods i see around me in the world i inhabit an infinite variety in the arrangement of matter a multitude of sentient beings possessing different kinds and varying grades of power and intelligence from the worm that crawls in the dust to the eagle that soars to the sun and man who marks to the sun its course it is possible it is moreover probable that in the worlds which i see not in the boundless infinitude and eternal duration of matter beings may exist of every countless variety and varying grades of intelligence inferior and superior to our own 
until we descend to a minimum and rise to a maximum to which the range of our observation affords no parallel and of which our senses are inadequate to the conception thus far my young friend i believe in the gods or in what you will of existences removed from the sphere of my knowledge that you should believe with positiveness in one unseen existence or another appears to me no crime although it may appear to me unreasonable and so my doubt of the same should appear to you no moral offence although you might account it erroneous i fear to fatigue your attention and will therefore dismiss for the present these abstruse subjects but we shall both be amply repaid for their discussion if this truth remain with you that an opinion right or wrong can never constitute a moral offence nor be in itself a moral obligation it may be mistaken it may involve an absurdity or a contradiction it is a truth or it is an error it can never be a crime or a virtue chapter fourteen miss wright was a poetess as well as a politician and writer on ethics in her fourth of july address delivered in the new harmony hall in eighteen twenty eight in commemoration of the american independence is the following is there a thought can fill the human mind more pure more vast more generous more refined than that which guides the enlightened patriot's toil not he whose view is bounded by his soil not he whose narrow heart can only shrine the land the people that he calleth mine not he who to set up that land on high will make whole nations bleed whole nations die not he who calling that land's rights his pride trampleth the rights of all the earth beside no he it is the just the generous soul who owneth brotherhood with either pole stretches from realm to realm his spacious mind and guards the will of all the human kind holds freedom's banner o'er the earth unfurled and stands the guardian patriot of a world end of chapter thirteen of ancient and modern celebrated freethinkers read for you by ted delorme in fort mill south carolina